straight here? Yeah. Okay, good. Let's make sure you didn't um, go to a hotel. Because we got you a spot. Inshallah. Alhamdulillah. We got you an apartment. And today, we're hanging out here. And then at around... I have to do some errands after this. Then after that, we are going to the masjid. Between that time, you can gather all the equipment you need here. And then do your whole itemized list. So I'll tell you, we got extra camera in the masjid. We got tripod in the masjid. We got two lamps in the masjid. So, um... Tons of cords. That's, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. Cords, Tons and extension cords, cords yeah. yeah. And I would say, take whatever you need, want from here just in case. Okay. Mics, whatever. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh alaikum everyone. You hear me talking. We're talking about streaming tomorrow's event. Because we're streaming the uh, the grand opening, inshallah ta'ala. Okay, so uh, our man Noah is the streaming whiz. He's responsible for this stream. We were using some junk software. What was that thing called? StreamYard. Stream Absolute junk, right? Until Noah came in. He had a proposal like a professional. I'm like, I don't even know what this is, but the proposal looks so good. Just do it. And we did it, alhamdulillah. So now everything, so between that time and I'm going to roll back into the mess around six and, and maybe even earlier. And then I have convert halakha and then we have dhikr after maghrib. Inshallah, hang out with that and we'll see you about dinner. Inshallah, we'll have a dinner or something like that. Right, we'll figure out some, some food. For and we, uh, we haven't done any food for Convocon for a while, so maybe we're due. Let's think about it. Yeah, after is better? Okay. So then, um, what else we got? Yeah, that's the main thing is getting all the equipment. Then you draw a line and tell me what we need. Okay. Then we could pick that up tomorrow morning. Yeah, And Habib is going to be your assistant. Ladies and gentlemen, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Safina Society, nothing but facts live stream. And you basically also got, um, you basically got a little preview of what's going on in the background because tomorrow is the big event. Okay? Tomorrow is the big event in which, uh, the grand opening of our live stream, uh, of our uh, Dar al-Fatih. It's a college. It's not like a liberal arts college. It's a religious institution, right? So it's a jamia, a place where people could study, and we want them to eventually to be studying full-time. And we want the awrad to be ringing in the PA system, right? In Dar al-Mustafa, in Fez when I went to Morocco... The way they do things, the awrad, the awrad of the morning, awrad of the evening, awrad of the afternoon, a different student for like a, a one or two months recites all of it. So for Fedge, he's got to be there. Of course, we won't, probably won't be here for Fedge, unless this, there's a student dorm. If there's a student dorm, right, like we buy the house next door, they come in for that, right? They'll all pray, there'll be awrad on the loudspeaker and very faintly outside why is it that those guys across the street are allowed to put the ridiculous music you heard them before everyone on the stream has heard them that's how loud their music comes up across the street through the window and into the mic you've all heard it before so why is it they're allowed to be so loud everyone's allowed to have block parties and be loud so we're going to do it too and we're going to pump the awrad into our backyard 
it's my property, right? <laughs> I can do what I want, right? Like, generally, in your property, you can do what you want. I want to pump it loud in my backyard. I'm not pumping it to the street so no one gets upset. It's in my backyard. So shayateen will be expelled. Awrad are so important. Keep the heart clean and pure. You don't know how many people went to Islamic seminaries or schools or programs, and they were like totally dry. It's just studies, studies, studies. And it was just dry. So we soften up the hearts with awrad in the morning. Qabla al-dhuhr. Qabla al-asr. Qabla al-maghrib. Or ba'd al-maghrib. So on and so forth. Or qabla al-ma'ad. So you basically get, uh, you soften your heart over time to the point that you, it's as if you just got bleached. You spent a year here, you get bleached, right? So that's the idea. And Dr. Fetz, right now, we're starting with one year part-time, evening classes only. And let's just get through the first year, right? Everyone likes to talk a big game. So take the first step. Now let's get straight to our business, the battle of Hittin and the themes of Salah Hittin's fight. Now, Notice, what I'm going to tell you is what I always say is, the most important thing is the themes. That's the real lesson. But sometimes you want to get into the details because sometimes it is a juicy story. And every source that I've read about this, I'm telling you these historians, they're so knowledgeable of the, of the field that when they, they cannot write a book for beginners. Everything they write is filled with 50,000 names because he's been over it 50,000 times but the beginner hasn't and that's where there are some uh, I would call them incompetent experts that's what I like to call them an incompetent expert is somebody who is so good at a field but he has lost he's got lost in the field he can't talk to you to a beginner about it lost in the sauce at majdub academics right where and I've had a lot of academics like this, right? I like to ex- ask people, what do you do? What's this mean, right? Just, and I ask this question just to see if they can answer a beginner. Can you bring it to the 101 level? Yes. Or, I mean, I told Ibrahim the Uyghur, stop. Because I can't even understand a word he says about physics. He's a physicist. He moved to Iowa, right? Where do you move, right? Idaho or Iowa? Idaho. Idaho. That's how rare physics jobs are. You can't understand a word. Likewise, when people talk to you about the battle of Hittin and the life of Salah Hittin, you will just get so bombarded with names that today, I'm going to filter it down to only a few names that you need to understand. Okay? Now, the first theme is that, in retrospect, we see Salah Hittin as the chosen, really, king and qutub. What is a qutub? He's like a pillar of Islam. Pillar of the deen. Pillar of iman. That's Salah al-Din. I talked to Habib Omar bin Hamid. Different from Habib Omar bin Hafid. He said, when the Muslims were successful, their kings were aqtab. That means of the most pious of them were their kings. That doesn't mean that you're not going to see what, you, what is perceived to be, perceived from the outside, as bumps, bruises, and scratches on the fruit. Salah al-Din's first enemies were all Muslims. He fought Muslims first. Incompetent, all sorts of um, people who were standing in his way that would make deals with crusaders. We would call them munafiks, right? Not only that, 
Imam al-Mahdi, when he comes, his, most of his fight is against Muslims. Munafiqeen. What does Allah say in the Quran? Jahid al-Kuffara wal-Munafiqeen. Waghlud alayhim. So that no naive person should say, we have one ummah. Why am I reading the books? Oh, Salah al-Din, he waged a war on such and such Muslims. Fighting Muslims. Stop being naive. There is munafiqeen. People who sided with crusaders. So he was surrounded by little groups of munafiqeen. He swallowed them all up like a big fish that went around swallowing up all these munafiqeen. Damascus was not munafiqeen. But Nur al-Din died. The next coming ruler was his son who was very weak. And there is a principle in the Sharia that if there are two harms, you see what is the lesser of two harms. His son was weak. This administration is going to get eaten up by the next crusader or whoever. So Salah al-Din himself went and took it. He went in and he was welcomed by the people of Damascus because they knew him. And they knew that we have a weak administration, a weak king. We can get swallowed up. So he took it. So Salah al-Din, the first theme that you got to know is that while someone may be righteous, prince in the sight of, in the heavens, there are tough things that they have to do that may not appear to people as, they may be surprised when they read it. Likewise, we have some of the big awliya in this world. You look at them, they have feuds with other shiuch. That's life. That's part of life. They have feuds with rulers. Okay? Now you expect them to have a feud with an impious person. They have feuds with other pious people. It happens. In Egypt, they, were, they say that in the, the dawah in Egypt rested on two people. This is a, in the old days. Old days, I mean the eight, 70s, 80s, and 90s. One man was, he was wealthy, and he spoke to the, to the, to the people who didn't want trouble in the land. And that was Sheikh Muhammad Mutwali Sharawi. And there was another one. He was very poor. And the poor loved him. And he vented, okay, what everyone was thinking about the corruption of the elite and the government. Right? And that was Sheikh Abdul Hamid Kishk. Allah have mercy and enter them both into genitive for those without any hisab. One was like government sponsored. Sharawi, they put him on government TV. Morning and evening. Why? Because the government knew, okay, he's got a message, he's got a following, and we know he's going to tame the people. He's not going to tell the people, rise up! So they put him on TV. Sheikh Kishk was not on TV, he was in jail. He went to jail about six times in his life. He's in and out of jail, to the point that he knew the guards, right? And... He never had one sponsorship and he lived in a little room, a studio, with wife and daughter, one wife, one daughter, that was right next to the masjid, literally walking to the masjid because he was blind. And he would just give his sermons in the mosque and he received the government pension as a state imam, right? But he, not, he did not have one sponsorship. He was in persona non grata, no doubt, by the government, in jail six times in his career, minimum, if not more. But his sermons were like wildfire. He was as equally known as Sheikh Sharawi, who was on TV every day, twice a day. He was, the cassette tape of his khutbah would be recorded 
and it would be spread through the entire North Africa, Syria, Saudi Arabia, everywhere, within a month. The khutbah would be there. They were, people were obsessed with him. I went to Fez, Morocco, and I heard Sheikh Kisk being listened to. Right? Fez, Morocco. Lion of Islam. They didn't get along. The two of them did not get along. All right? Here you have two moons of the ummah. Okay? They didn't get along. So you have this, these things. So you have, the, you have to understand this because piety is a wonderful thing that doesn't mean it doesn't get bruised in life. Right? It gets bruised in life. When you look at it from beautiful, uh, a beautiful airplane flying and landing, if you go close to the airplane, you're going to see bruises. So that's life. And that's one of the themes of Salah ad When you read it, you know, this, 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 this prince of, uh, uh, of Islam, but there are things he had to do. So that's the first thing. Is that his first wars were with all these munafiqeen of the Muslims. And then he had to take over Nuruddin's city. And the Zengids were not happy about it. The Zengid family, this is our empire. Our grandfather built this. Nuruddin turned it into an Islamic empire. It was just a, it was just a they were Muslims before that. He made it, this is Islam and this is jihad. And he's the one who really, I would say, Nuruddin turned, the, he closed one page in the history of the Ummah, a page of darkness. And he opened a new chapter, a chapter of light. It all started out of Damascus and it grew. Salah ad-Din took it over. The, the Zengids were furious. The courtiers, the allies, they hated Salah ad-Din. They loathed him. And to try to make things better, Salah ad-Din, it's not just to make things better, to show that you are truly king and there is no doubt, he married Nuruddin's wife. Right? So on one hand, it's a way to mend ties because now you can't say anything because... You're part of us now, right? We married into your family. But on the other hand, like our glory is now your glory. But on the other hand, that's another type of statement too. Like I'm really king. I just married his wife, right? And the little king that he deposed, I married your mom, right? So it's, just, it's a double statement. But when you read these things, a king has to do what a king has to do. Uh, all the academics, they look at Nuruddin Salah ad-Din, they see them doing things to consolidate their power, and they love that because it allows them to rush to the conclusion they're selfish, they're just using Islam. That's not the case at all. If they were selfish in using Islam, Allah Ta'ala would not allow for the pious to keep remembering them as an act of worship. You give a, a talk on Nuruddin, that's an act of worship in a sense, or it's a, it's a rewardable action. That's what we believe. So, it's an action where if they were impious, they would have been forgotten and exposed as hypocrites. They weren't impious, but a king has to consolidate his power. All right? He's got to make no doubt that he's king. There cannot be a single doubt. He's in charge. So that's the first part of Salah ad-Din's life uh, as king. Once he consolidates Egypt, Syria, gets Damascus, and all the little cities around, he becomes, without doubt, the ruler of the area and the strongest force. And the Crusaders know time's ticking. Let's, now, we're going to get back to some of the bumps and bruises of life after he rules Jerusalem. Remind me to tell you what the 
Abbasid Khalifa did. Okay? Because the Abbasid Khalifa, they're looking on and they're like, because you have to understand what it's like. Imagine the U.S., the federal government loses control. Right? And every state pledges by its words to be allied, to be under the United States so we can have one flag and one currency. Imagine that, right? But in reality, federal government has no control. So New York wants to take over Delaware, fine. Texas wants to take over Arizona, fine. As long as you are basically giving a, a, a um, symbolic allegiance to the president, the president is not going to do anything. And the president has his own little army. It's, as, it's, it's no different than anyone else's. It's a symbolic rule. Abbasid Khilaf at the time is a symbolic rule. You guys rule. We can't control what you guys do, but you better pay us allegiance. No breaking away. One ummah here is Abbasids. Only the Umayyads are in Spain. Okay. So the Abbasids at that time, they're just symbolic. And they're looking on. They're a bit worried. He's getting a lot of power, right? But he had Salah al-Din's advisors and his father, they were like, oh, always write them nice letters. Tell them how loyal you are to them. So he would write those letters. And it's funny because sometimes he would, he would dictate a nasty message to them. I'm the one doing everything. You guys aren't doing anything. You're useless, okay? And then he would write it down. And then his other, his father would come in or somebody was saying, all right, tear that up. He got it out of his system. Now write the real letter, right? We are loyal to you, blah, 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 blah. So, so you have to see that that stuff exists in real life and it happened with Salah al-Din. Now, the next phase. He is, Salah al-Din is so confident that this takeover of Jerusalem is going to be easy pickings. Who's, who, are the, who is the first character you need to know from the Crusaders? Baldwin. Baldwin, he's a king who takes over at around 13 years old. Salah al-Din is already almost in his 40s. Baldwin is a leper. He's got leprosy, top to bottom. Okay. We're on, right? Okay. Baldwin's a leper. Okay. He's 13 years old. Salah al-Din is like 20 years older than him. Everyone's looking at this as it, it, it's too easy, right? This is too easy. Salah al-Din and Baldwin, they meet a couple times. And to his shock, okay? To his shock, he loses to Baldwin. Could you put up a picture of Baldwin? By the way, if I ever, I'll look at that. Put that up. Man, if I ever had to be king, by the way, that's the outfit I'm going with, right? <laughs> you should see the picture that Ryan's about to put up right now. Man, that guy. See, his face was so eaten up, right? By They had to make him a, a mask of silver. Because you know silver could be on the skin. And it won't rot. So they had to make him a mask of silver... And here, you, folks, you're about to see on the screen Baldwin. Man, look at this guy. Okay? Look at that. Salah al-Din lost to him twice. Maybe, I think, maybe even more. He had to wear a face. His, he looked so hideous. Okay? Because of the leprosy. 
his body had to be protected from the sun 24 hours a day. That's why there's not a single inch of his skin touches the sun. Immediately, the crusader said, we're finished, we're done. Okay? Immediately, the crusaders, oops, they said, we're, we're out of, uh, we can't have this kink. Okay? And they wanted him out. Immediately. But he turned out to be a strong king. And he stood his ground, and he refused uh, to back down to the people. He said, I'm your king, and I will lead you to success. And he did. As long as that leper, that little kid, he had such heart. Okay, he's a kafir and a crusader, fine, but we know that. But that doesn't mean they can't have good qualities. They wouldn't have ruled if they didn't have some good qualities. They're not going to get beaten by some incompetent fools. Genghis Khan has great qualities. The, the Americans, they have solid qualities, right? They have solid qualities. Like they know how to run an army. They have administration. So he, has a, he had the qualities of a king. And that's why they succeeded. So Salah al-Din, when the Muslims felt almost like this is too easy, they lost. That's a theme, right? You would never imagine Salah al-Din is going to lose to Baldwin, but he lost. Salah al-Din is chosen by Allah for this mission. Nur al-Din had died young, while Baldwin, whom he could not defeat, also died. When Baldwin died, that's the beginning of the end of the Crusaders. Now I have to introduce to you two other characters here. So if you're going to know anything about this battle, and this is Islamic history for the beginner, someone who never heard of this before. Okay. First thing is... After he, Baldwin dies, the rightful heir to the throne. He didn't have any sons. When a king doesn't have sons, that's a problem. But the next person in line, his name was Guy. Okay? His name was Guy. The second person in line was Reynolds. Okay? Or, Guy and Reynolds did not get along. Guy was the court guy. Reynolds was like the rabble-rouser. Reynolds was someone whom Salah al-Din loathed to the core. He's somebody that had raided the Muslims so badly, broke every treaty, attacked pilgrims, and even wanted to take, exhume, the tomb of the Prophet So Gee's the king, he's level-headed. Reynolds is the nut job. Okay. So what happens here? How does, how does this all reach a climax? It all reaches a climax when Salah al-Din, now right, we could go to the, to the map. The battle of Hittin with a Ha and a Ta. This battle, can I see the iPad please? It should be charged up. Thank you very much. So this battle, it takes place, as you can see, the first arrow that goes to the right there is the arrow of Muslim forces to Tiberias. You see that? Going up to Tiberias. All the way on the right. And they attack the city, and they, but they can't take the main uh, castle. There's a castle there. They can't take the main castle, but they successfully take over the whole city. Okay? Now there's something that Salah al-Din wanted. He didn't care for the city. What he wanted 
was to lure the the the, the only uh, army, crusader army that was left was in Jerusalem. He wanted to lure them over. Okay. It's not so far away. He wanted to lure them over. And he basically wanted to pick a fight with them. And exactly what he wanted happened. Why? For the simple reason that in there was a noble woman. This noble woman sent a message to King Guy in Jerusalem. And we said King Guy is the level-headed guy who took over. King Guy takes over, uh, receives the letter, and he says, uh, this noble woman is there, is, is captured. Okay, Let me see. Uh, it's not, it wasn't his wife. Mm, it was someone else. It was Raymond's wife, another uh, nobleman. Not him, not his wife. But King Guy, he looks and he said, we're not going to march all the way across in the heat. This doesn't make any sense. And King Guy says, she's been captured by Salah ad-Din. Salah ad-Din's not going to do anything bad to her. He's going to treat her well. So he doesn't go. Now, that night, the fool, the hothead, Reynolds, he goes crazy, rises, gets everyone all riled up, and said, let's go. Let's go attack. And let's go and defend our honor. And King Guy changes his mind, which was his big mistake. He changes his mind and he says, let's, fine, we'll go. Now, why does Salah Din want him to go? Because, as you could see there, uh, there are three arrows forming what's called the horns of Hittin. You see these three arrows there? Salah din lines up his troops there. He steps away from Tiberius a little bit. And he sets up, and Ryan's going to expand. Oh, per- perfect. Beautiful. There you go. So Tiberius is on the right there. And there are what's called the horns of Hittin. And they just sit there. The Muslims just sit there. And they make basically a U. They make it. Now, this is a big area. So they're coming in and they think, well, the war is going to be, the fight's going to be there. Well, what they don't realize is that Salah Din has a third column. A column is just a, a group from the army. After the Crusaders get there, the third column comes in and traps them from the back. You see now how there's those like, almost like those three at the horns forming like a V or or a U. And then that third coming from the bottom, they trap them in there. Behind the Muslims is plenty of water. As you could see, there's water coming at both sides of, of the, uh, the three-pronged army. You see the three-pronged one that's on the bottom? There's water right there. You can see the blue stream, right? And on the top, where it says Hattin uh, and Nimrin, you see another stream of water, right? But there's no stream of water in the middle. And that's what Salah din knows. And he knows that they wear metal from top to bottom. 
and he knows that they're far from Jerusalem. Any water they had, they're going to have used up. Okay? So if you look closely, there, there is a stream of water that ends around Turan. If you could see where it says Turan there on the left side, the stream ends there. So as long as Salah din gets his set third column anywhere between the horns and Turan, he's got them trapped. This battle was not a battle of the Muslims against the Crusaders in terms of the actual, what caused the deaths. Because in this battle, the entire Crusader army was completely finished. Just scraps were left over. They sent their entire army into a trap. They fell into a trap. Why did they fall into a trap? Because Reynolds is a fool who has no aql. And he uses his emotions to make a judgment. The right way to use your emotions is the, your, your intellect is the car, right? And once you have built your car with your intellect, then you fuel it with emotion. Not you build it with fuel. You don't build your car with gas, right? You're just going to have a fire. So that's what he did. He's a fool. And Guy, see, this is what happened. Some people say guy, some people say gi. When there's, if there's a, like, there's a, a queen, she's a princess, she's in like a noble woman, the wife of one of our friends, it's too emotional of a, of a thing to say, no, we're not going, because you look cruel. You look like you're leaving a woman in the hands of the, cap, uh, of the enemy, right? Her captures. So it was emotional. So gi fell for that. He did not, put a line in the sand and that's what cost the crusaders their entire kingdom so they get there and the, the discipline of the Muslim soldiers is such that all they have to do is stay hemmed in don't give them any room out and so they come in and the Muslims come in behind them and they hem them in and they've got them completely encircled and what do they do they just start raining the arrows right so they put the arrows up in the air so that it would come down on some kink in your armor and then they started firing arrows low what are they aiming at the horses right they're trying to fell the horses trying to knock down the horses so once the horse goes down that person is now has got to walk right wherever he's going to go instead of uh riding a horse and they just have, what else did they do? Now this is, it's just, it's too easy at this point. The soldiers were then assigned to, this is a very dry area, light fires all around. So they lit fires all around this circle, right? This area where they're all hemmed in. Now the Muslims, if they get hot, they got plenty of water. They turn around, there's water. But, the crusaders are completely stuck. The smoke is coming in. The arrows are coming in. And on top of that, what season is this? What's the date? It's July 3rd. So they're in July, right? They're in the month of July. And this is happening to them. The hottest month, it's a dry area. There's no water. Arrows are coming down. And now they light, they light fire all around them. And... The smoke is coming in. And what they had is they had horsemen of the Muslims 
keep riding in circles. Why? To kick up dust. Kick up dust. These people are going to suffocate to death. And what did the Muslims get? They got crusaders taking off all their armor, running like this, shouting the shahad. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Can I have a drink of water now? Right? And they counted a number, a handful. It wasn't a lot, just not to exaggerate the truth. Some people said four. Some people said like 12. Ran with the shahada, because they lived with Muslims. They know what the shahada is. They know the rules of combat. And they were taken in. Of course, they're not going to be taken in and let to free. They're going to hold you a little bit to make sure this is real, right? And they gave them water, saved their life. And some of them lived on as Muslims. We don't know the fate of the other ones. So you see here that this is how the battle was won. And this is how the Crusader army... The Crusader... There was not a lot of bloodshed in the taking back of Jerusalem. This happened between July 1st, 2nd, 3rd. And when was the final capitulation? July 4th. The 4th of July has a different meaning for us. Now I haven't looked up what was Salah Din's flag like. Right? What was his flag like? I don't... Uh, let's see if, if, if anything comes up. Salah Din's flag. I think it was an eagle. I love the eagle. I think it was a golden eagle. Right? Uh, I don't... Right, uh, click around. See if you get an authoritative source that tells us shows us what flag Salah din used. Okay. So, the takeover of Hattin on the 4th of July is the real and true ending of the, uh, of the Crusaders. It was later on, months later, in October, that he walked in in Jerusalem virtually untouched he mopped up some things he had to mop up first get his ducks in or in a row and he literally arrived in jerusalem on the 27th of rajab which is the night of isra and miraj where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam from where he ascended all right uh the night which is the assumed night of the ascension of the Prophet ﷺ, most people say that that's uh, what the night, uh, what it was, the 27th of Rajab. And he entered Jerusalem. Now let me tell you something. When he entered Jerusalem, you think, this is it, this is the greatest moment in the, the, the era, the, the current era of the Muslims. It was a grand and spiritual celebration. The takbirats were everywhere. Okay, P.H. Newby, if he ever watches this, he tells us that the Muslims were chanting Allah Akbar and Allah Illallah. That's what he says, Allah Illallah, which means there is no God but Allah. Poor guy did not have Google to check what is La, it's La ilaha illallah, not Allah Illallah, right? So, poor guy, didn't have Google to look up the Shahada. Could not find a Muslim. He could not find a, a halal cart. Where is he from? Where is this guy from? He better not be from England. There's plenty of Muslims in England. No excuse. Where is P.H. Newby from? Sounds like an 
Yeah, it sounds very British to me. PH Newby traveled most of the territory. He physically went to Tikrit, Iraq, where Salahuddin was born. He went to Damascus, where Salahuddin ended up uh, dying. He lived some years in Cairo. How many times did you hear the Adhan? You have no excuse for such a mistake. Allah illallah. Never heard uh, uh, that kind of... Anyway, no excuse, uh, PH Newby, whoever you are and whoever you, if you're still alive. In any event. It was October, and it was a blessed day, yet, what happened? Some of the soldiers of Salah din are furious. Why are they furious? Because Salah din his terms to the people of Jerusalem, to the Christians, and in specific to the patriarch, were so generous, his terms were so generous that they saw he allowed them 40 days clear out the city take whatever you want right and each man will pay a certain ransom you ransom yourself pay us a certain amount of money and take whatever you want and leave so in the beginning no one had a problem you see a guy coming out with a mule and his family with a couple mules when they realize hold on the patriarch of this of these of Jerusalem is coming out with loads of gold cups jewelry whatever they became upset they were like that's ours we conquered we came in as a conquering army this was not a treaty we came in as a conquering army so they became infuriated. They became upset. And he had to calm them down and remind them of the intention here. But this is so that you realize the soldiers of Islam, they are soldiers. They are fighting for the sake of Allah. This is also their livelihood and they're human beings like anybody else who wants to live well. They want to live well. You, the Ottomans... What motivated all these greats to go out, these competent men to go and spread the empire? Because I'm spreading the word of Allah, I'm also getting very rich. And Allah has allowed, the Sharia of Islam has allowed that. It has allowed that. Because how do you incentivize people to do it? What, what incentive do I have? And not only that, I might have incentive up to a point when I come home and all my family's hungry. Like, and the re- reasonable person, after the generation of zeal, there's let's say a generation of zeal, and let's say there's 5% who will do anything, they'll go hungry. You can't operate on 5% or one generation. You need to operate on the whole society. A whole generation, money generations in a row, everybody needs to feel there's an incentive to do this. Just like medicine. Medicine, you want to help people. Everyone, I want to help people. Yep, you're also getting very rich doing this, right? Oh, why do you go into medicine? I want to help people. You're also going to get very rich doing that, right? <laughs> okay, so this is the, the thing where, again, one of the themes that I'm telling you here, besides zooming in on the story of Hattin and seeing what actually happened and how they conquered the Crusaders, is to see some of the real-world realities that happened that you realize that's part of life even for the most pious and the best of us. 
We, we in Islam, we don't sell lies and fables of everything being perfect, right? There are times where things bump into each other. The only perfection, the, perf- the only perfect person is the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, okay? And even the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam had his, some of the men around him. They had issues. They rejected him at first, then they accepted him. They accepted him. Some of them left again, right? They accepted him. And they disobeyed him at some point. So we have it. there's things like that that happen, and we have to understand that. Let's get back. I said we're going to get back to the Abbasids. This was the day where Imad al-Din is the scribe of Salah al-Din. He's his secretary. He's a scholar, and he's his secretary. He write, secretary meaning he writes all his letters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, Salah al-Din gave the khutbah. There is a story of the famous pulpit that was built 20 years earlier by the command of Nuruddin or that a carpenter donated it to Nuruddin and said this is for the conquest of Jerusalem some people say that it was a man from Damascus some people say it was even before Nuruddin 30 years earlier in Iraq when there was a preacher in Iraq who was Nuruddin's uh, uh, Nur, uh, inspiration, that preacher kept preaching, we need to take back Jerusalem. He was like Nuruddin's teacher. And a carpenter built a, a pulpit for that purpose. It is said, but it's not, Allah Adam, if it's, it's not really verified, that that pulpit was brought into Masjid al-Aqsa, and Salah al-Din gave the first khutbah on that same pulpit. Right? Allah knows best. That's true. Or not. Ahmad al-Din proceeded to write letters to every noble in the Ummah. And he wrote letters including to the Byzantine king. Now, this is very important to notice. The Byzantine king, what are they? They're the Eastern Orthodox. It's almost a different, it's a very different theology than the Catholics. Remember, who are the Crusaders? The French and the Europeans. Who are the Byzantines? What we call now the Turks, Turkish Christians. Those are the Byzantines. And they are descendants of the Romans, but they have their own church and their own faith and their own rules, etc. What we call now Turkish Orthodox Church. Okay. Is, it, is that what they call it? I don't even know. They call it Turkish Orthodox? Orthodox Church. Orthodox Christians. The Orthodox Christians are civilized people. They, in the, they're in the same culture as the Muslims. Right? They're well off, they're civilized, they're cleaner. They hated the Franks. When the Franks came in, they sacked Constantinople, raped and pillaged and stole. So the Byzantine Eastern Orthodox Church, thank you, Uga, he, they hated the Franks. So the Byzantine Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, wrote letters of gratitude to the Muslims. Salah al-Din sent them gifts. They sent gifts back. They were happy, right? These are rival Christian groups here and sects. And they loathed the Franks. So they were happy that the Muslims took over. Remember, the Muslims never called the Crusaders Christians. They called them Franks because their interactions with the Christians was the Eastern Orthodox and they had fine relations with them. Okay. Now, 
who writes back to Salah al-Din? The Abbas al-Khalifa. And the Abbas al-Khalifa does not utter a single word of congratulations. He doesn't congratulate him. He writes him back with a list of questions. Well, what about this? What's going to happen now? What about that? What's going to happen now? And Salah al-Din is infuriated. That they will put politics over Din. And they care more about me being a threat to their power than that we just got back Jerusalem from, we have finished the Crusader army. All four of their main strongholds are now done with completely. Anything, who's, anything left is just scragglers, remnants, scraps. And he's furious about it. So he responds back to them with a vicious letter well, I don't want to use the word vicious with a noble salah, but I mean a cutting, splicing letter. And then he returns, he comes down, and he says, all right, tear that up, and we'll write them a conciliatory letter. And he writes them a conciliatory letter. All right. That's basically the summary of, how, of what happened. So July 4th, you have to remember, is the day of not just the American Revolution, but... Uh, their great-grandfathers, I guess. Some of them, I'm sure. In Hattin, also, uh, had a bad day. So the British had a bad day in July 4th, 1776. And let's see, what was the year here, exactly? July 4th, boom, 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 1187. Uh, also, certain Europeans had a bad day. And they lost big time they got smashed essentially uh, and and they could think one, that's what happens when you listen to a fool okay so that's it let's uh, open it up to your comments and questions I hope now everybody um, uh, has a good idea now I simplified it enough right bought it down to like five characters Baldwin Gee Reynolds, the the noble woman, which is the wife of Raymond. I don't want to say Raymond, but get confused with Reynolds. And Salah al-Din. That's all you need to know, right? Abbas al-Khalifa is in the background. His scribe is in the background. But those are the main characters. And that's that uh, luring them in and then closing them off and trapping them is essentially um, what happened and how uh, the Crusaders basically all lost. Okay. Next question. What do we got? They're asking if Salahuddin discovered, rediscovered the Grave of Musa, Did Salah Din rediscover the grave of Musa? I do not know, to be quite honest. Allahu Adam. I do not know. And how would he verify it, too? How would he verify it? How would such a thing be known? The only way it could ever. The only source that I can imagine is that is through Mukashafa to one of the Salihin. But that is not a public source of knowledge for anybody. That may be knowledge for him only. 
because mukashafat are speculative knowledge. How else, how would we actually know? What would the source of knowledge be to confirm where Sayyidina Musa is buried? Okay, we have a lot of people telling us that the flag of Salah al-Din is, in fact, a golden eagle. It is a golden eagle. I guess that's where Egypt got it from. Yeah, I, I don't want to give him too much credit, though. <laughs> Every everyone loves the eagle, king of king of the skies, right? Is the eagle. Base Muslims is saying, I'm guessing the next video is going to be about Elizabeth Windsor and her death because Queen Elizabeth, as the news is, as I was given this, the news is coming on my phone that she's uh, in the hospital. Oh, she already passed away. Okay. Now King Chuck. Right? Finally, the poor guy. He's been waiting for so long. Oh my goodness. The luck of this guy. This guy's got the worst... He's got the worst luck in the world. Please elaborate on the diversity of Salah Din's army and how leadership and unity was not based on nationality or tribalism. Salah Din's army was essentially based upon... Uh, it was based upon signs of taqwa. Like, you needed to be competent, but you needed to have taqwa too. And it was said that Nur al-Din began a, uh, a habit of actually selecting generals and high positions from the masjid by going silently and seeing who's there at Fajr. And to Hajjid. And he would, that would be a factor for him. Uh, Nuruddin did in fact he was in fact in, uh, Salahuddin and Nuruddin they did both fight they physically fought they didn't just watch okay. every crusader theme that you're going to read every book about the crusades that you're going to read looks down on the crusaders and looks up towards the Muslims for the simple reason that at that time, the dunya had opened up for the Muslims. They were not just, they, they were the elites of the world, amongst the elites of the world, in their technology, in their advancement, in their literacy, in everything. Now, just like there's going to be undeniable when, if we go a thousand years from now, if, we're, if there's life on earth, and we read histories about the 2000s and the 1900s, clearly, you're going to walk away that the Islamic world is in ruins, and the Western world is the advanced civilization. So it's the same thing. What book was this from? This was from different books, but the main one that I refer back to was Saladin by P.H. Newby. Known is, is saying we need to relocate to England. I have a question. I always got the idea, you got so many shiuch in England already, like you got, why would you need an extra da'ya to come to England to do da'wah? You all have so many shiuch, right? 
That's what, that's the perception I get out of England. Ibrahim um, Osiefo up in Liverpool, and, uh, but so I that's the perception I got. Maybe I'm wrong. Ali Raghab says, "Can you say more about the initial enemies of the Mahdi being Muslims?" Once the people see that he's coming with the Sharia, he has enemies. And the Prophet said, and keep in mind a rule of thumb about the hadith of the Mahdi. The, that which is sahih is vague, is general. And that which is uh, specific is not sahih. So just take that with a grain of salt. But we do know that the Imam Mahdi, his first battle is in his own country, Al-Hijaz, Al-Jazeera Al-Arabiya, the Arabian Peninsula. Who's he fighting? Munafiqi? Hypocrites who stand against him. Who then comes out against him? The Syrians. The Syrian, they have a ruler called the Sufyani, they send down an army. This army is so big, there's no way for Imam Mahdi to defeat them. They get swallowed by the earth. Sayyidah Isha narrates this hadith. After that, they go, and by the way, who's their only ally? The people of Khurasan. Khurasan is far east, okay, between Iran and Afghanistan. So you go, you got the Arabian Peninsula here. You got Iran to the east of that, Persia. So Iraq is up, then Persia, then down south and east even more, what we call Khurasan, which is now parts of Iran, Pakistan, at the bulk of it is Afghanistan. Okay? Now, interestingly, the only people who with enough, with any shame and, and, and haya in front of Allah as a government to raise the banner and, and pride in Islam, to raise the banner of the deen and the sharia, are, they, are them. Think what you want about them. Okay? Doesn't mean any Muslim, no two Muslims are going to always agree on their perspective on things. I don't care about that. When I look at the landscape, who's the only one raising the flag of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah with pride? Don't go to some Western website that's looking for their issues. Okay? And don't go to the mukhalif. The mukhalif is someone with a legitimate difference of opinion in religion. Don't go to the mukhalifin, alright, who are nitpicking and they pr- prefer their, 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 their uh, sectarian views or their religious opinion over the general good. And I look and I say, these are the best guys out there, right? In, as from that aspect, just from the aspect that they are proud enough to be Muslim. And they put Allah's religion first. You want to tell me they're backward people? You want to tell me they're harsh? You want to tell me they don't understand Islam well? Okay. Uh, jadalan. Jadalan means hypothetically I'll give you all, let's say I give you all that. Okay. That's the person who we have in the Ummah that is proud of Islam and believes to that we should submit to Islam. Dis- you don't like these things about them? That's a separate issue to me because we're zooming way out now. And they're not ISIS. They're not astray. They're not heretics that are astray. Right? So... We, we have to be able to su- submit matters of, of, of khilaf and, and what is a lesser matter to what is a greater matter. 
that's always been my view for Islamic politics, right? So when I get a group, and this group, yes, they're within Ahlul Sunnah. Whichever tone you want to put it, okay, they're Sunni Muslims, right? Because that's what the truth is. We call, we call the truth Ahlul Sunnah. Whatever pale, as, as long as they're within that, it's far better than someone else, right? Would you rather go to Allah Ta'ala with the hisab of that and the, and the book of deeds of that type of person or the book of deeds of, let's say, Muhammad bin Salman? All right. Or the Tunisian secular kings, uh, pre, uh, president. Would, whose book do you want? So that's the one who I'm going I'm to support, politically support him. Okay. Does it mean at every policy and does it mean in every... Uh, if you could stick that in, please. Every policy or every uh, uh, matter of their religious perspective. But in general, I'm going to go with the person who upholds that. So that's that. Let's see what else you got. Uh, Ryan, if you could read me anything from Instagram because my iPad just uh, went down. Yeah, from Instagram, because I got YouTube here on my phone. All right, SR says, the Crusaders also, they hated the Jews. That's true. The Crusaders butchered Jews. And the Muslims, actually, the Jews were also happy again that uh, the Muslims took over because um, they, they didn't uh, kill them, persecute them. The British, what is the British contribution to the Crusades? It came after the fall of Jerusalem with King Richard, the Lionheart. And uh, he lost. He lost. He also said that it took Salah ad-Din 20 years to unite the Muslims before he could turn attention to the Crusades. That's what we said. And that's why we said Imam al-Mahdi will. He's supported from Khurasan. His first fight is in the Arabian Peninsula. His second, the Syrians come out against him. His third, he conquers Persia. Okay? His fourth, he goes to the land of Arum, which is what we would consider, what the Prophet said, which is Istanbul. But when the, when the people of Istanbul hear the sound of takbir, they join him. What does that mean? That means they're already Muslims, but they were upon heedlessness. But when they saw it, they joined the winning force. Like, it's as if their heart settles now and returns to Iman. This is the big mistake of uh, Imran Hussein, with all due respect, as an elder uh, in the Ummah of Islam. But he says that because of this hadith, we cannot deem the people of Constantinople to be upon Islam. That the Ottomans were not uh, Muslims. What? No. Because he's saying, how can the Mahdi conquer Constantinople if it's already Muslim? Of course you can. Because they're, they're heedless. And as soon as they hear the takbir, they submit. So imagine now a land in which Afghanistan, just think of it as this, the, the countries you know now. Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, with Emirates, Kuwait, all those countries. Yemen. Syria. Iraq. Iran, 
Turkey. That's what they, these are, this is what we know them as today. Imagine all of these under one ruler. That's where they now consolidate this power. What do they do next? They go to the old rival, Europe. And the first stop, the Vatican. They get to the Vatican and they take over the Vatican. Yeah. Because the hadith of the Prophet says they go to Rome and they're scooping up gold with their shields. They're scooping up gold. Where's the gold? In Rome. It's there, right? And that's where Iblis, he starts panicking. Right? And he said, he has, and a call goes out that Dajjal has come. Go back to your women and children. The Dajjal has come. So they leave the gold and they run to their women and children. But there's no Dajjal. It was a false cry because he just panicked almost, right? Because once you come here, once you set foot one foot in Europe, they're going to sweep the whole thing, right? So they all return home. Then it was a false alarm. Shortly thereafter, and after the false alarm is off, people are, once you realize something's a false alarm, that's when your guard goes down the most. Then the Dajjal comes out. When everyone's guard is down the most, that's when the Dajjal comes out. He comes out upon an Imam al-Mahdi having conquered all these countries and unified all these countries upon him. Some people say, oh, what are you, what are you talking about? This is Hadith of the Prophet This is not my words. Right? This is what the Messenger have said. And I have already prefaced it with what Sheikh Sayyid Ramadan Bouti prefaced it with, is that the sound Hadiths of the Mahdi are vague and the specific Hadiths are not fully... They're, they're not Sahih, but they're not fabrications either they're like they strengthen each other enough that you could tell it as a story narrate it as what happens when the Dajjal comes out the momentum all swings in that direction and the Muslims now begin a very painful process of the vacuum of the Munafiqeen he is a magnet of the Munafiqeen the Dajjal's job his function in the world is to, to, to like a magnet all the hypocrites will come out of the Ummah. And the Imam Mahdi, having conquered all this land, everyone's defecting. Everyone's defecting who is a Munafiq. And he tries to fight back. And when he fights back, the firepower of the Dajjal is so fierce that Al Imam Mahdi is not, he cannot overpower the Dajjal. To the point that he is hemmed in Jerusalem. Hemmed in. They're stuck there. They can't move. The firepower of the Dajjal is too much. This is what is called Al-Malhama Al-Kubra. The great slaughter in which the numbers of deaths in the Hadith are through the roof. From there, the only salvation from that comes from Allah Ta'ala. And that is Sayyid, the return of Sayyidina Isa and who denies that is a kafir. This is a mutawatir statement, a belief that Sayyidina Isa has not died. You have to transition from this earth to the next. 
Okay. He has not died. That means he has to return back and live the rest of his life. And why is it that in the Masjid in Nabawi they have a fourth room waiting for Sayyidina Isa to be buried there? So we have the Prophet wasallam a little to the right and to the back, Sayyidina Abu Bakr. A little to the right and to the back, Sayyidina Umar. Then there's an empty ghurfa, an empty room that is prepared for Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam who will make Al-Madinah his capital city. His capital city is not Jerusalem. It's Al-Madinah Munawwara. He rules from there. Sayyidina Isa's return initiates another chapter in the chapter of the end of time. And that is which the tide swings permanently this time towards the Muslims in terms of the fight with the Dajjal and this anti, uh, uh, this godless order that we're in that is now infiltrating everything with their Qawmaluti behavior and just outright insanity and corruption in the West straight up killing Muslims in the East China India not all of India but parts of India the general vibe out of the Hindus is death to Muslims Israel many Munafiq Muslim countries it is a direct destruction of Muslims okay, we see that it's not saying at every single inch and every single moment but it's there it's there for that enough that you would very monitor where you're going right they destroyed Iraq they destroyed Syria they're trying to destroy everything that upholds the truth in the West they don't have a they don't have a significant enough Muslim population to fight them but it's the bastion of the culture of this Dajjal this Dajjalic culture of, of egoism hedonism okay it's a sewer okay it's a complete sewer that's just they turned it on and they're sp- spraying the whole world with their defecation right <laughs> diarrhea and vomit they're spraying it all over the world and we just happen to be like living on the edge of the hose, right? And trying to cover ourselves. It's all around us. Okay? If, you're, if, you're, if you have a kid who's watching, who watches Jurassic World on one of these streaming sites, is it Disney? They got an outright open lesbian scene between like two 12-year-old girls. It's a cartoon, of course. Not a cartoon, but what do you call it? Graphic, you know. It's like it's it's you know one of these computerized what do they call it CGI yeah CGI yeah like two twelve year old girls open lesbian scene and all the other characters cheer it on they are promoting this at every level as Allah says they are musrifun they will not stop musrif means doesn't know limits right doesn't know limits so uh, at every level so that's what happens with uh, Imam al Mahdi. That's why he fought Muslims. Likewise, Salah al-Din, to begin his, he had to fight Muslims. Who else? When we cover the Salah al-Din of the West, except that there's no sacred city per se in the West, the Salah al-Din of the West is Yusuf ibn Tashfin. We're going to study his, he's one of the awliya kings. Yusuf ibn Tashfin also has to fight Munafiqeen. He's got to fight these hypocrites. And Al-Ghazali wrote the fatwa for him. Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali and Al-Tusi, they wrote the fatwa 
O Yusuf ibn Tashfin, the Muslims of Andalusia are incompetent and they will lose. We will lose the entire land because of them. So go conquer it and anyone who stands in your way, his blood is halal. That's how Yusuf... See these awliya, they would not rule, take over without a fatwa. So he got the fatwa from who? The great Abu Hamad al-Ghazali. When they say that Andalusians and the Marikis were against Abu Hamad al-Ghazali, not for long. When they honestly read his books, they supported him. Can kafara be given as money to the poor and not meals? It can be given to a wakil, an agent, who will then supply it as food. Which is, for example, you go to Islamic Relief's website, you can just pay them with your debit card, they take the money, maybe 3% administrative fee or 5%, add it on top of that, and they will package it as food for the fuqara of the Muslims. Ismail says, come and take the, king, the, the English throne. We'll protect you from this edifice. Oh my God. It's a wild scene out there. It's a wild scene, I'm telling you. YouTube. They took over YouTube, right? Everything, right? It's like Mongols. Astaghfirullah, I can't compare a Muslim to a non-Muslim. But, but in the sense, it's like everywhere, right? So. Uh, we'll see after years and decades pass which manhaj uh, succeeds. We'll see. All right, here's something else. Sayyidina Isa ibn Maryam he has power over the Dajjal and this satanic New World Order. Okay? Referencing that old Hamza Yusuf VHS tape, if you guys remember that. If you guys haven't remembered it, you need to watch it as history. History of Dawah. That VHS tape, Imam Safwan, whose name I see here, I think, I guarantee you he watched it. There's nobody who is hovering around the age of 35 or after except that they must have watched that five times. Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, he has a three-hour VHS tape. Someone's got to have put it online. Dajjal and the New World Order. This is Hamza Yusuf when he's like 35 years old. Hair down to here. Coolest dude you ever see, right? And his hat keeps going backwards because he gets so... He's standing up the entire time just giving a narration about the end of times and the symbols of Akhiru Zaman, the Dajjalic order that we're living in. This is not silly talk, this is Al Haq. That everyone's got to be aware of. Okay? Oh, yeah. two, two hours, 41 minutes. Dajjal and the New World Order. I'm sure someone put it on YouTube. Maybe they put it in one or two parts. One part. Whole thing. That's your homework assignment. I see Imam Aid is saying it's on replay, right? Do you know I ruined the tape? Watch it. Okay? Rewind. It's not like... The, the, they don't even know what rewinding is. Okay? Rewind. Take like 30 minutes to rewind that thing. Right? Right? Play it again. Right? I would be in my apartment by myself when I was in college. I just have that on loop. Right? I just have to rewind it. Okay? So that was a, a, a massive talk. 
one of his best ever. So he has power over the Dajjal and he wipes out this entire Dajjalic New World Order that we see with all this kufr and all this facade and all their diarrhea that they're spewing in our faces. Gone. Finished. All right? And Sayyidina Isa then goes on to all the different countries and he fights them with an ultimatum. Enter Islam or fight me. Because the Prophet didn't do that. The Prophet ﷺ gave you the option. You can stay as you are and give us a jizya. They don't like the jizya. They say, oh, this is a discriminatory. You're lucky you got the jizya. You want the other option? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, he abolishes the jizya. That's what the Prophet ﷺ said. He, he breaks the cross, kills the pig, and abolishes the jizya. What does that mean? When he breaks the cross, it means he ends the belief in his crucifixion. It's over. Notice, the only prophet we know who what he looks like, or there's a world consensus of what he looks like. Then the prophet describes him exactly as we see in the pictures. Why is that? Because we have to recognize him. He cannot come down as an unknown face. He's going to come down and everyone's going to see. We know that face. The world knows that face. There's not a person in the world, you don't show him, a reddish-hued man with a reddish beard, fit on the thinner side, beautiful hair down to the shoulders, like it's wet. You cannot show a person that picture, and they're going to say, that's Jesus. Now, there's a wisdom why Allah had that picture go around. Okay? And the myth behind it, who knows what's true and false, is that Veronica was a uh, follower of his. And when she saw his likeness, and she thought it was him being crucified, and sweat and blood is pouring down his face, she went and wiped his face. I'm telling you, this is the myth. This is not hadith or anything of how we got the image. Then they wiped his face, and the image of Jesus came on the face, and she preserved that. It was preserved. And then later on, they drew it. That's the myth on the Christian side of how his face came on, uh, spread so far and wide. But forget that. You don't realize, we don't know what, we don't have a picture of any prophet except him, and he's the only prophet we have to recognize because he's going to come back. So you have to recognize him. And most of the Christians will follow him too. Right? There's none from the people of the book, meaning the Christians, except that they will believe in him before his death. That means when he comes down, most of Christendom will follow him. They will realize oh, that's him. You can't deny it. That's him. Forget your doctrine that was false and follow him. And they enter Islam. But Sayyidina Isa does not have power over yet Juj and Majuj. And that is the next fitna, which is a fitna of the body, not a fitna of the deen. It's a fitna that you are literally afraid for your body. Like you're going to get killed by yet Juj and Majuj. So they all rise up and go to the mountaintops. Where? Allah Adam, where the mountaintops are. Who knows which mountain? Which mountain can have a whole ummah on it? But they will climb up to mountaintops. The Sahaba said, how will they eat? The Prophet said, they will be in such a, a, a state of iman, their food will be dhikrillah. There will be nothing to do all day, like coronavirus. There's nothing to do all day, except you live with say Naïs ibn Maryam. So now, there's no fighting. There's just doing ibadah with say Naïs ibn Maryam all day and all night. And in order... To have the spiritual capacity, there's no food and drink. 
very sparse food and drink so that you don't eat a lot, you don't drink a lot, and you that's what's going to allow you to, to have the spiritual capacity to be with Sayyidina Isa and Maryam all day. Otherwise, you would burst, right? Because his, power, his, his spiritual power is so strong that one of the miracles of the Prophet is that Anybody could be with the Prophet وسلم, and the spirit, the, the power of the Prophet وسلم, the nur of the Prophet was soft. Like it, it was powerful, more powerful than anyone else. That's why they say he's like the sun but as cool as the moon. As bright as the sun, as cool as the moon. Right? That's how the Prophet is described. In, an, in any event, let's move on. Will we definitely get to see the grand opening on live stream tomorrow? The answer is yes. You will see it. There is, uh, uh, we are streaming it tomorrow, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So you get all the equipment today, do the inventory, and then tomorrow at around 4 o'clock, oh, before that, 3 o'clock, we'll have our Jummah lunch. We'll go back around 4, 4.30, and we'll start the setup. Yeah. It's going to be a blessed day, bi'idhnillahi, and we'll, we'll, we could do plenty of time to to test it and everything. Whoever has taqwa, Allah will make a way out for them, says Al-Batul. Does it only apply to situations where one chooses halal over haram? Any case in which you have taqwa and you are in a jam, Allah Ta'ala will find a way out for you and the opposite is true. If you do not have taqwa in a matter, then there's no way out for you. A man came to Ibn Abbas he said, Oh, Ibn Abbas, Sayyidina Umar has, ruled, has said that three times divorce, if I divorce my wife, three times, that in a row, then it is batin. I cannot take her back. I cannot retract this divorce. He said, yes. He said, well, I uttered talaq on my wife a thousand. I said, talaqtuki alfa marra. I divorce you a thousand times. So, what is my way out? Ibn Abbas replied, Allah says, Whoever has taqwa, Allah finds a way out for him. You did not have taqwa, therefore I don't have a way out for you. Right? Because the mufti is supposed to try to help you. Right? He's trying to help you. But, here, he says, you did not have taqwa, so I don't have a way out. So what is the taqwa of someone who does this? Is tawbah. If he makes tawbah, then Allah may show you a way out. If he accepts your tawbah. Is all this time of the Crusaders before or after the Mongols? It is before the Mongols. The Mongols haven't come yet. The Mongols haven't come yet. Will Jerusalem be the place where Imam Mahdi's army fight the Dajjal at the end of time? The answer is yes. It's there. Ibrahim Khan is in Texas. Dallas, Texas. Magnet of shiuch and Islamic organizations and everyone who doesn't want to play to pay taxes anymore. Okay? Uh, first one to go there was Bayana Institute. Where is he from? Long Island, right? No, Man Ali Khan was in Long Island. Man Ali Khan did an amazing dawah. Okay? He didn't get into theology or fiqh. He went into Arabic and tafsir al-Quran, right? And general piety, Right? Yet, fitna came down, and we ask Allah Ta'ala not to, 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 to... Honestly, we should ask Allah Ta'ala, if the man is repentant, to raise him up again as a great Darya. Okay? And we ask Allah not to test anyone else with that, right? With what he was tested with. 
And when I say tested, I'm not saying any claims about innocence or guilt. I don't know. Tested, whether innocent or guilty. It's not my business, innocent or guilty, right? But he went there. Then, I mean, everyone's there. Right? Almost all the man went from Louisiana, he went there to Yaqi. Yes, al Qadi went from well Tennessee, and he went to Dallas, and he's originally from Houston. Okay. Then he lived in Connecticut, and that's where I became friends with him. Then he went to, you know, we were a small group in Connecticut, like ten families, right? So we used to have these get-togethers, and there's only ten people to invite anyway. So um, everyone's in Dallas. The London scene, though, is, is pretty... Uh, there's nothing in the London scene. The London scene doesn't have any traditional dawah at all. Hadi Nuf is in St. Louis. You know about the London scene at all? You ever no, been to England? Say, it's like, like 50 years ahead of us in yeah. terms of their community. So you think they would have these yeah. few individuals who are kind of They're all in the north. All these masajid, there's some humongous... There's called Gamgol Sharif. They have a whole staff for funerals like a four or five funerals a day they have a whole floor for women do etikaf for Ramadan uh, multiple imams but in, in London it's just like itinerant people people study work for a year it, uh, nothing really f- took root in London I don't know why when I was there oh the de- it was on fire there was you could go to a different majlis and gathering and class every day of the week seven days a week right but it's just gone now First dua to go Mecca and Medina, going for the first time, Maryam. All right, well, mashallah for you. Um, and, well, it's what your heart desires. Whatever brings you to feel the most uh, nearness to Allah, if He were to give it to you. That's the dua that you need to make. Uga Panda, no one here is here in NYC. So if you're in NYC, then you need to come down Friday. For our grand opening. And we get to see if you look like a panda or not. What his nickname, right? So we get to see if he looks like a panda or not. All right. Can we have a podcast on the Memluks? Yes, we will get to the Memluks. We will get to the Memluks. How are we doing on time today? It's now 3.07, so we'll wrap up soon. All right. Can a sister visit Regis Park Mosque when on Hyde? but not go into the prayer area? And the answer is yes. So when we say that the person who is junub, or upon haid, well, the junub shouldn't leave his house junub, right? But if on haid, and they enter the masjid, they may go to what is not the musalla. So the bookstore, the auditorium, the multi-purpose room, the hallways, the entranceway, all that is fair game for anybody, but not the musalla. How does one attain yaqeen, says Ibrahim Khan, and the answer to that is a non-stop recitation, non-stop exposure, I should say, to the stories of the prophets and the Qur'an. Like the fastest route to yaqeen is that. And then of course, if you have the strength and the energy, then dhikrillah, and of course the recitation of the Qur'an, but the contemplation of the Qur'an and the stories of the Anbiya. Because the Anbiya are from the greatest ayat of Allah. After the Qur'an, like what are we told to believe in? To believe in Allah's books and His messengers. The contemplation of the books 
the angels and the messengers will get somebody yaqeen. Does someone have to say the shahada in Arabic for it to count? The answer is no. It can be in English. How does the Sharia distinguish between wrong and sins? First of all, every sin, we consider it a moral wrong. But there are things that are not sins, but we would classify them as wrong. Why? It is a halal thing that would lead to harm. Halal thing that would lead to injuring somebody. Right? What's a halal thing that would lead to pain and harm on another Muslim? Divorce. So, let's say a man gets bored. I'm tired of this. He's selfish, right? I'm tired of this. I have a midlife crisis. Muslims should never have a midlife crisis. You turn to Allah to heal your heart and fix you up. It could happen, right? But guys, oh my gosh, I'm getting wrinkles. I'm getting old. What's going on? All right, turn to Allah to clean your heart and he'll, everything will be fine if you douse yourself in, in, in dhikrillah and dua and in fact it will be a springboard for a better life than you had in the past you don't know how that's going to happen but it will happen but let's say he has a midlife crisis he wants to pack everything up he's rich I'll pay for the kids I'm going to leave and I'm going to marry a younger woman has he done anything haram? In every single step of it is halal. Yet every single step is bringing pain upon a Muslim. On someone he's supposed to protect. So we say about you, that pain, you're responsible for. Even though every action was halal. But the halal does not mean you are not responsible for it and you can get Sins for the result of that halal. For the result of that halal. Okay, so that's some what he may be talking about. Another way. The sins are clear in the sharia, in the books of Islamic law, but wrong actions are that which is not written in the Islamic law, but the Prophet described it as you are afraid that people would see it, you don't want people to see you doing it, and it scrapes at your chest. He feels wrong. That's what we would say is al-khata. So there is something haram, that's in the sharia. And there is al-khata, something that is not written in, in the sharia, but nor is there an analogy for it, but it rubs you the wrong way. Like a khata. So that's uh, another way to distinguish. Za'afiel says, the Timurids. Tamerlane was not one of the righteous kings. And he dominated over the fourth, the sinful Ottoman sultan. The Ottomans had, there was of course Erturul, then Osman, who was the empire's named after him, he started the empire, his father was Erturul. Then two more, the fourth one, he was sinful. He was not a good king. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrected these Ottomans because he loved them. He corrected them with a vicious conquest from Tamerlane. Tamerlane was a Mongol who had entered Islam. Originally Mongol, but he became Muslim. Some say he was righteous, some say he was an Aqsabandi, some say he, was, uh, 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 he loved the Hanafis. 
but he also loved to kill people. He killed tons of people, right? And he imprisoned, conquered this, the Bayezid, the fourth Ottoman uh, sultan, and he put him in a cage and dragged him around the city on a, like a back of a, a mule cart to be humiliated, right? That's, that's Tamerlane. We could talk about Tamerlane as an Islamic history thing, but we have to know he is not one of the righteous kings of Islam. How does one start studying Arabic? I'm telling you, watch the videos on ArcView. Go to myarcview.org, go to the search, hit Arabic, watch all of those. It'll take you a long time, it'll take you a year, but you will learn. I guarantee you those videos are very beneficial. I have a lot of confidence in those videos. We have a lot of different Arabic courses on ArcView. I have a friend who is working in Riyadh, and she wants to know if she can travel to Medina on her own. In the Hanafi school, I believe they, they do allow travel in a group, and Allah knows best, if the group is safe. And it may be only for Umrah. So Allah Adam, double check. Only fatawa allow for this. Okay, fatawa. The rulings are that you go to the different madhabs, but the ruling, there's ruling and there's fatwa. The ruling is she does not leave the journey and go traveling distance without a mahram. But there may be some uh, exceptions to that depending on the circumstance. That's by fatwa. Edible Derby says... Is it haram to be a plastic surgeon? The answer is no, because plastic surgeon isn't always for cosmetics that is forbidden. So there are, the what is the cosmetics that's forbidden? Hey, Rai, why does this keep coming up this week? It's so weird, right? It's like the fourth time it came up. What's the cosmetics that forbid, that's forbidden? Adding to what Allah has not placed. What is the cosmetics that is halal? Returning what has been lost, right? What Allah created you with? You have every right with no shame to return it how it was. Okay? I, my ear got cut off. Put on a fake ear. Halal for you to do. Because you would look odd without an ear, right? You can put on cosmetically another ear. Nose, same thing. As I gave the example, a guy shattered his nose. Multiple breaks in his nose. He has to get a rhinoplasty, which is a nose job. But the, they, the doctors told him, the doctor said, hey, it's your lucky day. Because when we do this nose job, the only way we could do it is straight. Like, we're not going to come in there and make a curved nose, right? It's going to be a straight nose. They're going to take the bone. I don't know what they're going to fill in the bone with. And they're going to put some kind of, I don't know what they do, plaster or something within the bone or something, that the bone will be perfect. Question, though. Yeah. So, like, if you have a DBA septum, yeah. and they have to reconstruct your nose, you get, like, a free the deviated septum, um, in most cases, they don't have to touch the bone. Yeah, the deviated septum, they will only touch like lig- they will. It won't change the way you look. Yeah. But this guy, he's getting a free nose job, and the doctors thought he'd be happy. So he's like, "Oh wait, I'm not going to look the same." They say, "No, you're going to look better. Your nose is going to be straight like a Hollywood nose, right?" And he's like, "I need a fetal for this. I don't, is that halal?" The scholar said, yes, it's halal because it's the only way you can do it. And in fact, you have an analogy from the Prophet Sallallahu who um, a man had a nose 
a, a nose cut off, the Prophet gave him a nose of silver. He said, go make a nose of silver. When the silver is not as good as a metal as gold, it rotted on him. The Prophet said, take him a, a, a nose of gold. Is, is gold better than bone? Of course it is. More valuable than skin and bone? Of course it is. So he ends up with a better nose. So if the only way to make, to fix the problem is to have, to make it better, is this, this rhinoplast, then it's halal. But, I got a curved nose, I don't like the way my nose is curved. Wait, are you damaged? No, you're not damaged. Allah made you that way. Is it like a wart? No, it's not a wart. Wart and all skin you can cure. No baby's born with that, right? No baby's born with acne. You can fix all that. That's halal for you to fix. But the shape of my nose is a little bit turned. I'm not getting proposals. Can I get a nose job? Now that we have to say no. That's where the line stops. Okay? So, make an analogy for all other things. How you were created, you are allowed to return it as you were created. Right? And if the only way to do that is to make it slightly better, then that's allowed to. In the case of that guy and his nose job. I would love, says Jay Perez, to have a Hanbali podcast or series on Hanbali Aqidah and Fiqh with John Starling. Well, guess what? We have Hanbali Aqidah on Arcview this year, starting September 18th. Hey, don't embarrass me. I don't want to have brought the Sheikh on and there's no students. Hey, Jay Perez, could you please take the class? Muzammil Ahmed, and he's going to be teaching Hanbali Aqidah on Arcview. Thursdays. Okay? On top of that, Sheikh Yusuf ibn Sadiq is supplying us with the pre-recorded class on Hanbali Aqidah. Pre-recorded class on Hanbali Aqidah. Jay Perez, are you signed up for Arcview? Please sign up. Guys, don't embarrass me. Show up for the class, will you? Anyone who wants to be Hanbali? Because I like this brother a lot. Muzammil Ahmed. He's a sheikh. He's very learned. And we have Hanafi Fiqh Monday. Han- Shafi Fiqh. Maliki Fiqh Tuesday. Shafi Fiqh Wednesday. Hanbali Fiqh Thursday. Okay. Just like Salahuddin, he was the first to establish the four madhahib in one place. He was the first to do that. The four Iwan Mosque. He was the first one to do that. Before that, they didn't do that. El Batul, don't forget to say Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil or to say uh, La ilaha illa anta subhanak inni kuntu min or both because Allah Ta'ala will then open the doors for you. Brother Ali Qabban, thank you so much and may Allah accept uh, from you and from us. What's the best way to explain to an atheist why someone who does charity and good deeds but does not believe in anything earns the fire? Very simple. Did they ask for paradise? Did they ask to be saved from the fire? That's how simple it is. Why would you get something that he doesn't ask? Why would you force him into paradise? He doesn't want it. He doesn't believe it exists. So he's not asking to be saved from fire. Okay? So why should he be saved from what he didn't ask for? Did he do these good deeds for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? For salvation from the fire? What did he do these 
good deeds for? Just for the sake of goodness. Then, on the Day of Judgment, ask for just for the sake of goodness, go find it, and ask if it will save you from the fire. Okay? It's not sufficient. You didn't want it. That's why. Chief Latif, how do you respond to someone who expressed having attempted suicide to you? I'm not the sensitive type, unfortunately. To be honest, right? Likewise, what do you think of Queen Elizabeth dying? People die all the time, right? Uh, I'm really not the I'm not the right person for them to go to. But sometimes, you know, maybe that's uh, they need a little bit of a wake up call. Maybe some cold water in your face or some caffeine, because I will tell you, a lot of people have a worse life than you. Okay, and I will tell you, listen, I feel bad if you have a crater in your heart. But there's nothing I can do if you don't take the medicine. It's iman. Dhikrillah. Al-iman billah. You can be the most miserable human being in the world. I understand that happens to people. And I feel that feels terrible. But you must believe that dhikrillah, salah ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will cure you. But you have to believe in it. I can't do anything if you don't believe in it. And I've never, and we have people such as Sidi Ali Qabban. I've never seen anybody dedicated to a salah ala rasul except he's happy. I have, forget depressed. Forget not depressed. Not depressed is not an achievement. Right? Is that an achievement? No. Happy. All the time happy. And if they get down about something, it's just a matter of time before they shake it off. With more salah on the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So that's uh, that is the cure, but you have to believe in the cure. And unfortunately, some people they don't believe in the cure. At that point, there's nothing I could do. Okay. Except you can try to use your worldly methods, which take a long time, and they're a hit or miss. What are some of the worldly methods that I believe will will get a person out? Number one, you have to buy some time. Bide your time because you're in a state right now, maybe in a few years things will be so different for you, you'll be out of that. Maybe you're going through a phase. But the worldly methods that are, without doubt, they will work for you. Sunlight. Good friends. Sleep on time. Get some good sleep. Okay? Eat wholesome food. It's been proven that, that this preservatives in the food, it affects you psychologically. Eat wholesome food. Drink a lot of water. Actually decrease your food completely, but eat wholesome foods. These are the God-given medicines of life. Hang around with some friends that will make you laugh. There's YouTube videos that will make you... Laughter is a healing. If you're married, لا حياء في الدين. There's no حياء in the deen. If you're married, one of the purposes of intimacy is to rectify your state, your emotional state. Okay, So engage in that. If you're married, engage in that. Every day. I don't know, some of these people are crazy. They wrote a blog that a couple did an experiment. What would happen if they had intimacy every single day? These guys do it in height, right? These, these filthy people. And he writes about it, right? But out of curiosity, I, what's the result? Amazing results. Just from this thing that Allah created, right? That husband and wife, they were intimate with each other. And they were like, well, some days we didn't want to, want to, but we forced ourselves. And 
They say like, our relationship is amazing. Everything about us is much better. This is something Allah created for a reason. Don't ever hesitate to believe and in that Allah Ta'ala has created this relationship between men and women. And for you to be a single guy, let's say, and you really want to marry, there's no shame in that. And it's a Western culture that we have adopted Catholic views towards marriage that have made marriage impossible. Why? The Catholics are only allowed to marry once in their life. The day of their wedding, that's it. This is the biggest day of his life. He'll never come out of this bond. We in Islam don't have that idea. We in Islam, in the history of Islam, or the history of the Sahaba, marriage, if you are unhappy, you get divorced. La haraj, no haraj. We don't force it. Of course, I don't su- supply, uh, support that today because the institutions of life don't support that. Your family life is not like the family life of the Sahaba where a million aunts and uncles, they take care of the kids and grandparents and general mental emotional stability and general no, no stigma on divorce the way it is today. So I don't recommend that today. I'm just telling you we have a problem in marriage because we've diverted from the Islamic view that marriage is something you go into it. If you're unhappy, you come out of it. You're not stuck, right? So marriage was simple. The Prophet ﷺ got married and some of the Sahaba in Medina did not know he got married. If Imagine a local imam gets married. Wouldn't the whole mosque be there? We'd all know. People would drive from distances. You know that it's makruh to tell people to, to come to my wedding if it's more than five miles away in the Sharia. You're burdening them. It's a burden. It is haram, makruh, haram, to burden people in marriage. Oh, okay, I got it. Every spring, I spend about $1,000 going to weddings. I don't eat for $1,000 worth of wedding food, right? And I can't wear the same suit. I got to buy suits every... every I got to buy a new thobe. I got to buy a new suit. Okay? I got to write this guy a $100 check. And as you grow older and you become more mature, it's got to be like 250 I don't have the money for this, right? Hey, hey, listen. Exactly. Yeah. Make it from the kids. No, these days, I just go. Right? I, no, I didn't bring anything. Right? Alhamdulillah, uh, we have a lot of money. But $100 this wedding, $100 that wedding. Okay? You know, the Italians have a, have a joke. They bring cash. Because they, want it. they bring cash in small bills. 20, 20, 20, 20. They taste the food first. This <laughs> chicken is dry. Take out 20 bucks. Right? <laughs> This is haraj on the people. It's haraj. Haraj means a load. It's like a burden. It's a burden on the, on the people who arrange these weddings. Do you know that most people have fights uh, because of the wedding? The families have fight because of the wedding. We're talking about a fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000 expense. In some, some, some more reasonable, moderate situation, $5,000, $10,000 expense. They fight who, who's going to do it. Who's going to cover it. They fight over who gets to decide. Uh, the, the father of the groom I'm paying for it all and then all of a sudden he has no decisions the mother of the bride is making all the decisions then he gets upset so wait, who's paying for this yeah but it's my daughter's wedding right first only time in her life right then they have a fight over it they get there every munkar in the book <laughs> who's the wedding planner Iblis <laughs> every munkar Munkar means sins, small sins, big sins, everything. We need a complete revolution on weddings 
it needs to be simplified. It needs to be returned to the halal. And marriage itself needs to be not complicated anymore. Okay? So, subhanAllah. It's one of, uh, one of the things we need. By the way, don't judge a pious young man or a pious young woman when there's a lot of munkar in their, marriage, in their wedding. Because oftentimes it's not their choice. Right? It's not their choice. The mom and dad are paying for it and the kid is like on the sideline. Right? And he, he, he can't say, oh, I, I'd like to have a, here's my playlist. All halal songs. Fine. There's nasheeds. It's halal. That playlist gets basically deleted. Right? And they bring their own playlists with all of what uh, Habib Omar bin Hamid says, Gama'at al Hishik Bishik. Right? <laughs> That's what he calls it. Right? Which is basically all the Arab pop stuff. Uh, that's in the book. All right. So Hamza Azai, I hope I answered your question. Why the atheist? Why don't uh, does not believe? But he does all these good deeds. But he doesn't believe. Why does he earn the fire? Firstly, why is he offended? He doesn't believe in it anyway. It's almost like you truly do believe in it, right? Because if I get told by a Hindu, our elephants are going to trample you for an eternity. Our cows are going to trample you for eternity for eating beef. You think we're going to be offended? I'm going to laugh at you. It's a joke. So Hugh, don't believe in the fire. Why are you offended? Okay? If I'm look, working at a Hindu, uh, with a Hindu, and this Hindu, I see on his Facebook page, every cow, beef-eating, non-Hindu is going to be trampled for eternity. You think I'm going to be offended by that? I could care less what you believe. It's all a load of nonsense, right? So I'm not offended by that at all, right? I'm, I'm, I'm offended for your sake, right? Because you're miskeen, if that's what you believe in. All right, Ali Raghib. No lie, there was a wedding called off here in the Bay Area because the bride did want, uh, bride's dad wanted, all right, alcohol at the wedding. And the groom said, hell no. So the wedding's called off. The marriage is over because the father wants this. SubhanAllah, I mean, well, look, he may have been, let's say, a non-Muslim. And he's like, no, we're not having a dry wedding. They call it a dry wedding. And he says, well, we're not doing it then, right? So that's the problem if you are like a religious person, but your parents are paying for the wedding and they're not upon that deen. Was Sulaiman the magnificent, a righteous leader? In general, yes. Right? In general, he was a righteous leader. By the way, we're not streaming next Tuesday. There's a medical uh, situation for someone in my family that I have to attend to. Right? MM, I hope you're taking the Hanbali class. Afifa says, what is Hanbali Aqidah? Is it different from Ash'ari and Maturidi? It is different in their interaction with uh, the way they organized it, the way they systematized it. Okay? Um, and the way that they do the, their, they do Tanzih the way we do, and they have Ta'wil. But they do Ta'wil of the whole text, not a word. Not a specific word. Imam Malik, listen to Imam Malik's tanzi here. Very important. What is tanzi? 
it's when there's a verse or hadith that seems to be indicating that God is a physical in the world, we must make tanzi. We must reject that aspect. So how do we understand the verse? Imam Madik said, do not separate it from the verse. Okay? Do not separate that attribute from the verse. So om, so you must write, recite it with the verse. Therefore, the verse gives it the context. It's very important. Imam Madik says, I wish that I would not have narrated in public certain hadiths. And I should have would have rather received two lashes for each time I narrated it rather than have narrated it. Qurtubi says Imam Malik is talking about the verses and the hadiths that show anthropomorphism or would, would imply by the ignorant anthropomorphism and his narration to that in front of those who would misunderstand it. That's how much tanzi is in Imam Malik's fiqh. Do we have to choose a fiqh? Can we not appreciate all? No, we, have to, we can only live by one fiqh. You can only live by one law. We don't swim around based upon our nafs. You live by one law. But you can take all the classes on Arcview if you're curious, you want to know. You, you can take them all. Who said we're offering them all? So I really hope that people are taking the Hanbali class. How do you decide which madhab to follow? The ijtihad, al-ammi, the ijtihad of the common person is to determine which is the most worthy for me to follow. So you're watching this live stream, right? You made a decision. This is worth my time. You hear a fatwa or a ruling and you follow it. You made a decision. This is website or book or scholar is authoritative enough for me to follow and live my life based on this. That's the ijtihad. So the ijtihad of the common Muslim is to determine who is most worthy of following and then you follow them. Now, I said this before. Why is it that we do not just go with the easiest method? Why? Because that would make us our methodology that we decide the conclusion and then we go for the method. And that's not the right way to do things. If a common Muslim did that in everything, his ibadah would be valid. No problem. He's a common Muslim. But is that the right way to do things? Is that the way for Talib Adam to do things? Okay. Talib ilm, he decides the scholars and the methodology, the usul al-fiqh, then he submits to everything that it brings. Raghm of his nafs, despite his nafs. And it's riyadah against his nafs. Because now, this is the conclusion. I have to put my nafs down. If there's a hardship, then I can go to an, another opinion in the madhab or another uh, uh, madhab itself completely. Uh, Jennifer says how did you choose and why did you study the Ash'ari every Maliki is an Ash'ari why? because the follower, the students of Imam Malik later on when they came upon Abu Hassan and Ash'ari they determined this is the best Ash'ari first of all it's the most common one it's the most common Aqidah all the Shafi'i all the Maliki are upon that and some Hanabila and uh, some Ahnaf like Syrian Hanafis tend to be Ash'ari and the only difference between Maturi and Ashari is very minimal anyway. It looks like we got to stop here to go to uh, other uh, appointments. We'll take one more question. Zulfiqar Baksh. When I do dhikr and the Prophet, if the Prophet said 100 of something or 70, 
that's an estimate. You can go more. But if he said a very specific number, 33, then you should stop at 33. Hey, listen, Sophia, yesterday's episode was on a topic that was so unique. Okay. Uh, the beavers. Miracle of Allah, these beavers, to be honest with you. Afifa, Hanbali Aqidah. Hanbali Aqidah is going to be a pre-recorded class. We're going to record, we're going to release it when the Sheikh finishes them. Hanbali Fiqh is a live class. It's a virtual class. You take every Thursday, 7 p.m. Fortunately, that's very late, I think, Sorry, Thursday, 6 p.m. Because he's in England. Right? He's a, Sheikh's in England. He's in London. And you could take that. It'll be at like 10 p.m. in uh, uh, GMT, which is British Times. Can a person switch methods? Yes, he can switch if he's totally convinced of another usul. He can switch. All right, we have some announcements. First announcement. Support this live stream. If you find benefit, this is supported by the community. Right? If the community finds benefit from the goodwill of their heart, they'll support this live stream. Patreon.com backslash Safina Society. That's how you're going to support this live stream. Tomorrow, 7.30, we pray Maghrib, and after, we'll, we'll, why don't we start, open the stream at Maghrib, right? They could hear the Salah. You could put some other images up, whatever you want to put. And by the way, we have multiple cameras, so you could use different cameras and have them up there. But 7.30, the stream will start. Okay? And uh, the program will probably start 7.45. Alright? So that's one thing. Tomorrow you can watch the entire grand opening, all the speeches, everything, uh, about the program. That's number one. Number two. All of these live streams are now on Spotify. Spotify is where you could hear all of these live streams. Announcement number three. If you are a local to New Jersey, if you are in New York, you want to come down and study with us for three hours on site in the New Brunswick Islamic Center, these are the classes that we're offering in this beautiful fall classes poster. All right. These are the classes we're offering. We have a part-time program. We have the second level there is Uwailim, which is the class that I teach. We are studying Tafsir al-Qurtubi, and then we will be studying uh, Usul al-Fiqh. Hey, Raik, uh, after the stream, can you text the group that we have, the WhatsApp chat that we have with Athar, and make sure that the books are, uh, are on time, coming on time? Because we're getting all of our books from Mecca Books. Truckload of books. Yeah. We pay them a king's ransom for those books. And we give them for, to the students as part of the tuition. On Tuesday, me and Ryan will be teaching at the masjid at 5.30. For all the kids, right after school, they come and they study with us. Okay. By the way, Ryan, Nasir is not doing hifs on Tuesday and Thursday. If we feel the need and the students want to push the class back because they might have soccer practice or whatever oh but you have Darfats here okay so 5.30 to 6.10 we have a 40-45 minute class with them and Sunday mornings we teach the kids next gen 
Right. So, Jazakum Allah khairan everyone. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept this and to accept your dua. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, uh, uh, for all those who are sick, to give them a speedy shifa, all those seeking marriage, to give them all um, a successful marriage, to grant them qurrat ayn in this life and in the next. And for all the Muslim kids, may Allah protect them from qawmalut, from everyone who is, has ill will, every group that has ill will and wants to snatch our kids to become loyalists to their group, uh, we ask Allah to protect them, to make iman sweet in their hearts. And for all those who are elderly, to enjoy their last days on this earth and prepare for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they should be looking forward to it. The Muslim who is elder, he looks forward to meeting Allah and seeing what Allah has in store of the great reward in the barzakh. Because the reward doesn't begin after Qiyamah, the reward begins in the barzakh. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to make all the elders of the ummah that their last of days be their happiest. And they're going to be happy because they have something great to look forward to. And they are leaving behind a dunya that's all ups and downs and bitterness and mixed with sweetness. It's all mixed. And they're going to go to an abode that is all sweetness. وصلى الله وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم والحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Oh